You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Now, first of all, you young guys, you think, man, I want a date. Okay? Let me tell you something. The world will tell you that when you're around 11 or 12 or whatever and you start recognizing there are people of the opposite sex out there, okay? And the world tells you, all right, it's time to go. It's time to start. Button's been pushed. Who pushed the button? I'll tell you who did. God. God pushed the button. But He's not telling them with that button it's time to start into a relationship. He's telling them it's time to prepare. He's showing you there is this wonderful thing out there. Now, you have to become a man and you have to become a woman. Now, let me tell you something. You've heard the word adolescence. It is a lie straight out of the pit of hell based upon a false evolutionary model. It does not exist. Why do we have adolescence? I'll tell you why. In all cultures, you go with me next week to Zambia, to Africa. You will find it there. You go with me to the Aguaruna Indias in Peru. You will find it there. And what is it? You have two classes of males. You have boys and you have men. The boys are boys. They do boy things. They have no responsibility. They, they run around. They pick their nose. They go fishing all day. They do whatever they want. They are little boys. Then what happens? When they're about 13 years old, they go through a ritual and everything else, and they come out on the other end. These guys can hunt lions by themselves. They can build a house. They can farm land. And they can take care of a woman. We don't have that. So what do we have? A bunch of little boys who then become adolescents. We call them adolescents because they don't want to be called boys, but they are most certainly not men, so they're adolescents. How long do they stay there? Usually until they're 35. And welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 368 of the podcast. Today is April 12th. That was a clip from a poll washer sermon or at least an excerpt from a Paul Washer sermon that was sent to me here today. Part 2, preaching out of Romans 12, 1 through 2, just two verses. And I think he could have maybe gotten through more, uh, possibly, given the 30-plus minutes that I listened to. Didn't spend a whole lot of time in Romans chapter 12. I'm going to I'm going to be honest with you. Paul Washer, uh, I enjoyed the stories uh, to a certain extent, but uh, I, I, was a little bit, I was a little bit lost, uh, I'll be honest, on some of the points. But the featured image for this YouTube video, which, I, again, I will post in the description for this podcast. You can go and check out the full sermon or for the full sermon excerpt, I should say. It's 42 minutes, 59 seconds long. Uh, the featured image is Paul Washer behind the pulpit with in big letters, dating is unbiblical. Uh, they misspelled it. Unbiblical. Uh, they missed an I. Uh, dating is unbiblical, I think is what they meant to write. I'm pretty sure that's the case. Uh, dating is unbiblical. And actually, truth be told, uh, I would say I am inclined to agree with that statement. Uh, 
And let me explain. Nowhere in the scriptures that I can think of, and by all means, all you listening out there, uh, send me an audio message at anchor.fm. Send me an email at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Leave a comment at the WordPress post of this podcast episode, thegarrettashleymulletshow.com. But I am at a loss for where in the scriptures, New Testament, Old Testament, it doesn't matter, we find something akin to the way that romance is uh, treated and approached in modern American culture. As he points out, as Washer points out in his sermon excerpt that I listened to, uh, dating as we know it is something that has really only been a feature of our civilization for the past hundred years. And it's not to say that guys and gals getting together for dinner or meeting or going to parties or going to social gatherings or going to the opera or the orchestra or a picnic or a dance uh, is something new. That's been going on for a long, long time. Uh, But it is to say that what we think of as the boy showing up picking up the girl in his car and going to the movies or going uh, just the two of them off wherever. That is a a pretty recent phenomenon in human history, so far as we know, as far as I know anyway. And a large part of what helped to make it possible was the invention of the automobile. Now, I would dare say that had the automobile been invented somewhere else at some other time in history, uh, dating would likely have been invented sooner. Uh, but that, is, that isn't to say that we would be the better for it. I, I'm thinking right now of the next chapter that I have outlined for my book, and this is why we got married. It's basically uh, my extended letter to my children. Uh, primarily, first and foremost. Everybody can read it once it's published, of course, but uh, basically me trying to unpack the case for marriage as I see it. And here's why your mom and I got married. Here's why uh, we approach this the way that we did. Here's why we think of it the way that we do. And here's what God's word says about it. Here's what makes good sense. Here's what we've observed in the marriages of other people that we saw, we observed growing up. Here's what happened in the family of origin that we come from to some extent. We don't want to overshare, obviously, about our parents' marriages. We want to honor our father and mother. But I do think that some of what Washer is presenting here is a non sequitur from the part of his sermon that I agree with. And any of you out there who are big Paul Washer fans, uh, you're just going to have to hear me out here, uh, or you can tune out now. Uh, me saying I disagree with Paul Washer uh, might just be a bridge too far. And if that's the way it's going to be, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord splits you, as the saying goes. But for the rest of you, if you're going to stay tuned, let me just say that it is possible to agree with Paul Washer that dating is unbiblical and also not necessarily agree with his prescription. The hard and fast 
uh, application of biblical principles without actually citing any biblical references that I heard, that I caught in over half an hour of preaching on this uh, subject. Uh, It should not be taken as gospel truth. It should not be applied in a legalistic way. And it definitely should be not used. And I say be not used. It should be not used uh, as some kind of a cudgel to beat pimply young teenage men uh, or 20-something-year-old men or 34-year-old men over the heads with. Uh, It goes like this, just to give you a quick summary. So I'm not just playing 30 minutes of Paul Washer and uh, you're scratching your head like, hey, I thought this was the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show, not the Paul Washer Show. Paul Washer goes from point A being not true, point A being, in this case, dating is unbiblical, to a point B that is not the only other option, quite frankly. It is not either A or B, and there are no other alternatives. Now, his point A is that dating is unbiblical, and I happen to agree with that. Now, without a explicit prohibition against specifically what we think of as dating, I think we should go as far as to say there's a lot of biblical principles which indicate a certain unwisdom and folly um, and, a, and a listlessness, a vanity, a chasing after the wind quality to dating as it's practiced. Uh, that is not the same thing as sin. And that needs to be very clear. Just because a whole lot of very serious, confident, assertive men in suits uh, disagree with something, and you can hear one guy in the audience or congregation or whatever you want to call it saying, yeah, that's right, you know, a couple times. And I just, I, I think it's the same guy every time, but he, he just chimes in every now and then. Yeah, that's right. There's kind of, you know, Amen was getting a little uh, stale, I guess. And so uh, that guy likes to just say, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Funniest thing. Uh, he's, of course, he's entitled to Paul Washer's opinion. But for the purposes of this discussion, I think that there is far too much piling on young men that actually pushes them away from growing into men and growing out of what Paul Washer is describing as adolescence or boyhood. I think that far too much of the beating young men over the heads uh, about adolescence actually drives them further away from maturity. I, I really do. I think that as a young man myself, up until, I guess, November, he said adolescence uh, continues until 35. So I, I am a newly minted man. I'm 35 years old as of this past November 5th. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a man now. Thank you, uh, Paul Washer. If I had been born uh, in uh, Nigeria, uh, I'd be... 22 years into manhood at this point. I'd have hung many uh, lion skins on my home's uh, outer walls, no doubt, uh, and and probably have uh, several wives as well. Uh, but here in America, we don't mature quite as fast, and it takes us until uh, 35 or so, I'm told. Uh, surely, too, whoever's going to tell you when American men come of age uh, is going to put the age lower than they themselves are uh, 
at that point in time uh, enjoying. Uh, Paul Washer is definitely older than 35, but I don't think that's any excuse to suggest, if not outright stating, that American men are all immature until they reach the age of 35. I think that's uh, just quite frankly insulting. And I, and I don't see an even-handed treatment of the, the young ladies. I don't see the young ladies being told that they're not women until they're 35. Uh, there's an, an uneven application of scorn and rebuke that uh, will definitely be defended, no doubt, on the basis of men needing to be men and men needing to man up and, and all that. But I think there's, when you look broadly and you look at cultural trends, I think there's a lot more to it that has crept into the church from outside the church. And if we went back far enough, decades far enough uh, into the history of American Christianity, I, I think we would find that some of that nonsense in broader society and broader culture actually started with the church uh, answering amiss the question of hath God said. But there was a Wall Street Journal article that I read here recently. My wife sent it to me, actually, because my wife and I, we got married when I had just turned 20. I was 20 years old and 20 days the day that we got married, and she was still 19 and a half. And we got a lot of flack, and there were a lot of folks who I think have just kind of murmured under their breath from thousands of miles away that, like, oh, well, I guess they, they surprised us, they, and they're doing okay. Actually, they're doing better than most of the kids who followed our advice. Oh, that's weird. That's, oh, hmm, okay. You know, but we got married at 20 and 19 and a half. And according to this Wall Street Journal article, uh, citing a scientific study that was done concerning these things, statistically, marriages between uh, a man and a wife who say I do in their early 20s have the lowest rates of divorce in this country compared with any other demographic. The average age of marriage is now uh, close to 30, actually. A lot of young people have followed the advice, the mistaken advice, which I think a lot of important figures have uh, parroted in the church and dressed up with uh, misleading titles that the most godly thing for you to do is for you to wait until everybody else your age uh, is acceptably uh, established in their career. Uh, They've gone off to college. They've gotten their degree. They've spent five years out in the world working. And if you can't wait 10 years for a young woman uh, you've taken a liking to, well, then you don't deserve her hand in marriage. You're not going to be successful. You're you don't, not going to amount to anything. Father knows best. You're just a pimply worthless so-and-so. How dare you ask for my daughter's hand in marriage? Now, that's the tone of this tough-talking uh, Paul Washer sermon. And I very much disagree with that. I very much disagree with that. And I don't think the statistics bear that out. And a, a curious thing, too, is that towards the end of the portion that I listened to, and I got interrupted because I'm trying to do about a half dozen other things uh, with my day besides just listen to Paul Washer's opinion, 
however esteemed and highly regarded it is in many circles, the portion that I listened to closed out with him bemoaning the fact that the church very often just does what the world is doing. And he didn't mean that in the way that I heard it. He meant that in the sense that a whole lot of you young people think that you should be out there dating, going to the movies, going to dances, and getting together and hanging out and and having a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. And you're totally unbiblical. You're just following the pattern of the world. Well, not so fast. Maybe, but, but there might be more. There might be more to the story. For instance, parents and even leadership in churches and even some leadership in some churches that uh, I'm related to, actually. I, I have family uh, in pastoral, full-time vocational ministry. Sometimes leadership in churches and also parents in the church give bad counsel, give unwise and actually, dare I say it, ungodly counsel with regards to this. For instance, where in the scriptures does it say that a young man needs to go to a four-year college and rack up $100,000 worth of debt and spend five years trying in vain to pay that debt off and building up his career and buying a house and having his vehicle paid for and having all of his material uh, accoutrements nailed down before he can dare ask his intended bride-to-be's father for her hand in marriage. Where, where is that written in the scriptures? You know, it, it might suit you, and it might help your kid get into Harvard and get high up into an international missions organization as a director by the age of 30. Uh, but even if you listen to Paul Washer's uh, humble bragging story, in my opinion, it's a humble bragging story, and I don't, I don't take it as genuine humility, Uh, He was 30 years old and the director of an international missions organization when he asked his now wife's father for her hand in marriage. And so he asks for, you know, his now wife's hand in marriage and her father is uh, a Catholic, sounds like maybe even a lax, uh, you know, former Catholic, not even terribly devout as far as Roman Catholics go not a believer, as he says, at least. And uh, her father says, no, no, I, I don't want you marrying my daughter. I do not give you my permission or my blessing. And as Paul Washer uh, toots his own horn, he submitted to that. And all you young men, you're not any more spiritual than me. You had better submit when your bride-to-be's father says no because you are not her spiritual head. He's her spiritual head, even if he's not a believer. And you would better go and ask him permission. And she should never have to tell you no. You should never ask her permission directly. Well, again, again, where is that written? If you're going to say that dating is unbiblical, you need to present something more than just the harshest and most traditional and toughest sounding uh, alternative you can possibly think of to, to have that one guy in the audience slash congregation saying, yeah, that's right, uh, in, in my very genuine view. And if we're going to be Bereans about this, 
you really do have a responsibility to qualify when you're just stating your opinion, for one thing, when you're just telling us what you did and you think it's pretty great and so we should all have to do that too, for another thing, when you're just citing this is what is acceptable in our church culture because tradition, uh, for yet another thing, and when you are specifically explicitly preaching from God's word. When you are specifically preaching from God's word, you have a responsibility as a pastor to make it clear, book, chapter, verse, thus saith the Lord. And even the apostle Paul, not Paul Washer, the apostle Paul, who wrote the lion's share of the New Testament, qualifies when he is giving his own opinion. He says, and I'll read it for you, and I quote, and all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable that the man of God might be complete, equipped for every good work. But any of you conservative homeschooling moms and dads out there, feel free to cover your kids' ears if some of this uh, marriage material from 1 Corinthians 7 uh, might be concerning to them and concerning to your sensibilities. But I quote, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? And I quote. And do you notice there in 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 16, do you notice there how Paul says, in one place, not I, but the Lord specifically, explicitly, this is not just my opinion. This is God's command. And he says in another place, I, not the Lord, I say, I say this. This is my advice, which, to be clear, 
is worthwhile, but definitely more worthwhile when the Apostle Paul says specifically, this is my opinion, this is my view, this is my advice, this is my counsel. Now, why, pray tell, if some of what Paul Washer is saying here, he really, really, really means, and he does seem to really mean it. Yeah, that's right. Why, pray tell, is there not a similar distinction here and there between, hey, this is just Paul Washer's opinion, let me level with you guys, take it for what it's worth, here's what I've observed, here's what I've seen, here's my personal experience, this is why we got married, and this is how we got married, and this is how we approach it, because we can't do anything else in good conscience. Why does Paul Washer not distinguish between when it is that type of instruction, that type of message, or that type of a portion, or an excerpt from a message, and when it is the other, where thus saith the Lord, and here is precisely book, chapter, and verse, where thus saith the Lord. Now, for my part, I know from firsthand experience what it is when you and your wife-to-be receive discouragement. We stated our intentions in college. We were on summer break from Cedarville University. We stated our intentions to get married. And some made no mystery how they felt about that. Very few to none came to me to say, we disapprove and here's why. Particularly from the scriptures would have been helpful if the scriptures were on their side, which I don't believe that they were. Or, in the other case, if they were just stating their opinion, hey, here's my perspective. Take it for what it's worth. Here's what I've observed. I'm just going to level with you because I love you guys. And you are the young man in question, and I want to talk with you man to man. Didn't happen. But I did have an older gentleman come up to my wife, my now wife, my wife-to-be at the time, at her wedding reception, at her bridal shower, one of the two and say to her, you know, it's not too late to back out. Wow, that's tacky. But to hear Paul Washer tell it, it is illegitimate, ungodly, disobedient, dishonorable. If a young man who has been seeing a young woman in the church, in full view of everyone, to everyone's full knowledge, for a couple of years, says at a certain point, and I did, I did say this explicitly at the time, the Apostle Paul says, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Paul writes that to the unmarried and the widows, that it is good for them to remain single as he is, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. Now, Paul Washer, for his part, Quotes, Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 3 to 5. Not the full measure, but a selection from this. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Under the apple tree I awakened you. There your mother was in labor with you. There she who bore you was in labor. 
And Paul Washer extracts from a small portion of this passage where it says, do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. He extracts from this a broad prohibition on young people getting married before he thinks it's the correct time. Presumably, if I'm not a man until 35, I should have only just gotten married this past November and not 15 years ago this past November. But again, it's a curious thing, like that selection, that audio that I played for you at the top of this episode. It's a very curious thing to me that he talks about going overseas to mission fields in, let's say, Africa, where the rite of passage ritual for a young man of 13 sees him on the other end, if he's successful, if he passes, a man. He is regarded as a man. It's a curious business that he is telling us, in his own words, that at 13 years old, a young man is 13. He can kill a lion, he can build a house, he can take a wife and provide for her. But our boys, oh no, they're worthless, pimply, good-for-nothings, adolescent until they're 35 years old. How old am I? I mean, I could, I'm well in the clear, yeah. For that matter, Paul Washer tells a story in this sermon of a 20-year-old young man that he knows coming to him with tears in his eyes because he was dating a young woman about his age. And by Paul Washer's own admission, the two are very spiritual, very godly Christian young people. And he's just feeling like, man, I don't know what we're supposed to do. You know, we really want to be pure. and We're praying together. We're reading the Bible together. We're studying and we're seeking godly counsel. And sometimes we just, man, it's so difficult. It's so difficult to stay pure. And I just don't know what to do. And Paul Washer's counsel to this young man is that everyone else who is advising him is a fool. And you should go back to them and tell them they're a fool and tell them Paul Washer said that. You tell him I'm coming and hell's coming with me. And for your part, you should never be alone with this young lady. That's how you stay pure. You never be alone with her. In fact, we need to bring parlors back, not the social media site that got taken off the internet by Amazon Web Services, the Apple Store, the Android Store. No, we need to bring back parlors like that part of the house where young people who were courting could sit and chat after the young man had permission to court the young lady. We need to bring parlors back. And that's not a bad idea. I don't want to give the wrong impression that I think Paul Washer is either completely correct or totally off base. No, I don't think a parlor is a bad idea at all. In fact, to my own young men, to my own sons, especially my teenage sons, my son who is soon to be a teenager, I would say absolutely in no uncertain terms, you are not allowed to date a girl, as we call it in the common vernacular, until you are old enough to marry her, period. Once you're old enough to marry her, by all means. In the meantime, you're friends. You're friends, you can get to know each other, you can have conversations, you're not going to be alone together. That's a recipe for failure. 
and heartache and heartbreak and frustration. But by all means, be her friend and be pleasant and be kind and be amiable and learn how to have a conversation and get to know each other. That's fine. At a certain point, you'll have a job, you'll have a vehicle, you'll have a place of your own. And if at that point you're agreeable to it and she's agreeable to it, you have our blessing and our encouragement. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. That's the whole reason I'm writing this book. But to hear Paul Washer tell it, my wife and I were perhaps doing a really unwise, unbiblical, ungodly thing. If for no other fact than that I was only 20 years old, not 35 yet, an American, and a good for nothing, as he puts it. What an awful thing to say. I'm sorry, but what an awful thing to say. Why would you say at the beginning of your sermon that some 13-year-old African young man is indeed a man, and you can call him that because culturally that's acceptable. But here in America, in order for us to call you a man, you have to have your own career launched, probably, presumably, if you're going to get the Father's blessing, also a college education. You're going to have to be all set up, have all of your ducks in a row, 100%. Why would we Why would we tell young men that, particularly when the research is showing that at 20, the divorce rates are the lowest of any demographic. How is it working out for the 30-year-olds who are waiting to get married until they've completely established themselves in all of their habits and routines and all their ways? And again, too, to the question for Paul Washer and for those who are of his persuasion, where is it written? Where is it written that this is the age at which it is acceptable for you to get married? Now, the common rejoinder is going to be, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. So therefore, you are not old enough to get married until you are old enough to literally leave your father and mother. Now, what does leave your father and mother mean literally? Particularly in a day and age right now where we're looking at soaring inflation, when for us to ask young people to go to college unless the Democrats get their way and they make it all completely free, totally paid for by the taxpayers, it is a higher and higher and higher bar through no fault of young people's that getting a college education is prohibitively expensive unless their parents do have tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars saved up to fund it. Is that leaving and cleaving when your parents pay for your college education? Is it leaving and cleaving when you have to take out the equivalent of a mortgage in order to get through four years of schooling? And then on the other end, what happens if the only job you can get hired for because of the nature of the economy is as a barista or a billing clerk or the associate low man on the totem pole in some factory? Are we seriously going to tell a whole generation of young people who were forced to wear masks and social distance through the last couple of years of their schooling, are we really going to tell them that when they get to be 25, 30, 
if they're still struggling financially because of the decisions made by previous generations, they're the wicked ones. They're the ungodly ones. If they say, you know what? I'm alone. And Genesis in the beginning says, God saw that it was not good that the man should be alone. Are we really going to tell young people, shame on you if you ask permission to marry and the girl's father says no? Shame on you. Who do you think you are? Are we really going to tell young people, no, 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 no. Forget what Paul said, the Apostle Paul, not to be confused with Paul Washer. They're two different people. The Apostle Paul says, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. And the message you would take away from a Paul Washer sermon or the equivalent, which is far too mainstream, which I think represents conforming to the pattern of this world far more than being transformed by the renewing of our mind in Christ Jesus. The message you would take away from this kind of sermon is that it is not better to marry than to burn with passion. In fact, if you marry before we tell you you can, before Simon says, then that just goes to show you're totally unqualified to get married. Wait, what? But what about what Paul says? Yeah, forget that. You're supposed to obey me, submit, conform, kneel. Only then will you prove that you are a quality man. Really? Really, is that the kind of men we want filling our churches? Is that the kind of men we want filling our societies? Is that the kind of men we want at the front of the line marrying our daughters? I don't think so. That call me a little bit biased given the circumstances, but here's where I'm coming from in this. I watched my parents get divorced in junior high, and I knew that I didn't trust either of my parents to give me a accounting of what would or would not make a successful marriage because they clearly didn't have one. They got divorced and it was messy and it was ugly. For that matter, I looked at a lot of the other folks who were criticizing my wife's and my decision to get married and I saw a lot of dysfunctional marriages that I didn't want my marriage to be like. I didn't want our marriage to be like. And so why would I go asking them for advice on marriage when I don't want my marriage to look like yours? I don't think you've got this figured out. Why would I ask you? Why? And I didn't even ask you for your opinion, but you're coming and you're giving it unsolicited and then you're acting like you have the right to take umbrage that I'm not taking your opinion that I didn't ask for. You're acting, acting like this is somehow an ungodly, unbiblical thing that I would say, well, here's what the scriptures say. Here's what God's word says. And oh, by the way, if we are Christians and we have the spirit, what if God's given us permission to marry? What if through his word and through his spirit, he's given us permission to marry? What about that? What do you say to that? The very fact that that was such a foreign concept made me want to seek counsel somewhere else. And so it occurs to me as I was listening to Paul Washer's sermon here, his excerpt from a sermon, we actually did. Uh, we actually did seek counsel, but not just from anybody. And I've talked about this before, and it'll definitely make it into the book. But we sought counsel from a middle-aged couple that we knew who hosted a Bible study for youth at their house. We attended a couple of times. 
Mark and Lori Flower had a big homeschooling family, and they came into the fitness center often when I was working there through high school. So I knew them from there. The kids took piano lessons from my mom, so I knew them from there. Lauren attended their Bible study uh, more often than I did, so she knew them. And we looked at their marriage, and we looked at their family, and we looked at their household, and we looked at their demeanor, their way of relating to not just one another, but others outside of their home as a family. And what we concluded was that looks like the kind of marriage we'd like to have. That looks like the kind of family we'd like to have. And so we asked them, hey, would you mind meeting up with us for lunch? We need some godly counsel here. We want our marriage to look like your marriage. And so what did they do? They shot straight with us. They said, okay, Garrett, here are some scriptures that pertain to the responsibilities of a husband to his wife. We would encourage you to meditate on these really pour over them and realize that this is before God, your responsibility. Once you say, I do, this is your responsibility. Lauren, here are some passages that pertain to what a wife's responsibility is to her husband. You should really read these, meditate on these, mull these over, and expect that this is your responsibility as a wife. Once you say, I do, and just so you two know, We're so happy for you. Oh, we think that's great. We think that's wonderful. It's not always easy. It's definitely challenging. But he who finds a wife finds a good thing. And so if there's anything, anything we can do to encourage you guys, if you need advice, if you need anything from us, just let us know. And I'll tell you what, that was not just a godly testimony to us with regards to marriage. That was a godly testimony to us with regards to how do you counsel young people when they come to you in tears saying, we love one another, we believe that God has brought us together for a reason and for a purpose, we want to serve God, we want to honor God, here's what we feel and believe from the scriptures and from the spirit and from our circumstances, this is what we believe God has called us to. What do you think? What can you tell us? Not saying... Oh, you think you're more spiritual than I am? Oh, really? Hmm. The biggest thing here, I think, is differentiating what is our opinion from what God's Word says. What is our experience from what God's Word says? And just because that was my experience and Lauren's experience when we got married, that doesn't mean that that is the ideal. That doesn't even necessarily mean that that's what God has for all of us. Or if we're setting it up, if we're giving counsel and trying to help manage our children's expectations, young people's expectations are coming to us for counsel, that doesn't mean that we're giving this roadmap that's just, hey, just do exactly what we did and it'll be great. No, no. So you have to differentiate that. But we have to look at the scriptures and we have to be able to differentiate when, like Paul says, not I but the Lord, and when I, not the Lord, Just me, just me talking here. And I think too, furthermore, we need to differentiate between when somebody is ignoring our advice, which is just our opinion, and when someone is disobeying the Lord and not conflate those two. If we conflate on the front end what is from us and what is from the Lord, 
we are setting up a whole host of additional dangerous spiritual conditions. Whether that person follows our counsel and they start recognizing us as the voice of God, as a source for inspired revelation, or whether they say, as a example that I recently heard of, did. Oh, is that all? That, that's your only concern? Okay, well, I'm going to ask her to marry me anyways. So I happen to know of a young man, just recently minted as an adult, I think, in his 30s. Uh, according to Paul Washer, he's, he's just recently become an adult, a, a, a man, who recently asked a woman who is also about his age to uh, marry him. And he has his own place, he has his own vehicle, he has his own job, he has his own career, he has his own life, he's all set up, he wants to marry her, and he goes and asks counsel from the pastor and from some others, and he's told no. And to hear Paul Washer tell it, that's as good as thus saith the Lord. But did God say, hath God said, where is it written that you go and ask somebody for advice and you must, on pain of excommunication, follow their advice. You must. Else your salvation be questioned. Follow their advice. What if they give bad advice? What if they give bad counsel? In the Old Testament, you have the character of Job. Everything's taken from him. He loses everything. Even his wife says, curse God and die. I think she feels sorry for him. I think also maybe she's thinking, well, you know, kind of like the guys who threw Jonah overboard. Hey, it's worth a try. We throw you overboard, maybe the storm stops. <laughs> curse God and die, Job, sweetie. Call it. Cry uncle already. And his friends are with him for days, just being with him. Sympathetically, it would seem. Compassionately, it would seem. And then their compassion runs out, their empathy runs out. And they start presuming that they know what his spiritual condition is because he's suffering, because he's feeling grieved. And they start indicting his condition before God without justice. By the end of the story, it is Job who is praying that God will forgive them because they were very presumptuous. It was not their place to be speaking for God in such a way and presuming. It was not their place to be presuming like that. Now, if they gave counsel along certain lines, if Job's wife gave counsel along certain lines, was Job obligated, honor-bound, to follow whatever the prescription was or else have his condition before the Lord be condemned, apostate, worthless, unclean, God forbid. That's not biblical. Dating, I think, is unbiblical. And it reminds me of a conversation I had with a friend of mine who was a music pastor and associate pastor years ago. And he was single. He was in his 30s, I do believe, maybe in his late 20s. But good-looking guy, good physical shape, athletic, high energy, very confident, definitely the life of the party. 
definitely did not have a trouble finding a date. And so he dated around. And his attitude towards dating was casual and listless and conformist and unsuccessful. And I think what happened was that very often uh, for him, the same outcome that we see in broader society worked itself out that he would find some pretty girl, date her for a while, maybe start to develop feelings for her. And because the terms weren't clearly defined on the front end, what the objective was for them going for dinner, going to the movies, going for a hike, whatever, at a certain point she's caught off guard that he is more serious about her than she has any intention of being about him. And so she's out. She's done. She finds somebody else she's more interested in. She's not ready to settle down and commit. She's still growing into her career or whatever. Plus, he didn't start it out with an objective in mind. He wasn't clear on the front end. Hey, this is what I'm about. This is what I'm trying to do here. Do you have any intention of getting married if this works out? No? Okay. Thank you, next. But then, of course, he's heartbroken. If he did start to develop feelings for her, which should be the case when you're getting settled down with the woman you're going to marry. You should develop feelings for the woman you marry. Or on the flip side, she developed feelings for him. He finds something that is just not thrilling to him, something about her he doesn't like. And maybe she's more serious than he is. Maybe it's mutual. Either way, they call it off. And he's back where he started. And I remember sitting down and having a conversation with him in a mixed group of other leaders in the church that we were at at the time. And I told him, I said, you know, I think you approaching women as a kind of entertainment, as a kind of accessory to you going out on a Friday night and amusing yourself, I think that's not mature. I I think that's not wise. I think that's not going to be successful. I think that what would be more successful is if you said, I am going to approach this lady because I see her character, because I see her conduct, I see her attitude, I see that she is potentially wife material. And then you tell her on the front end, hey, uh, could we potentially explore the possibility that we should get married? I'm looking for a wife. And... I'm not going to try the humble bragging thing. I think I did help him. I think he took my advice. And I think the next gal, I think it was the next gal that he dated. He ended up getting married to. And I think they're still married. I think they have a bunch of kids, which is great. Very happy for them. They're beautiful people and their kids are adorable. But the point of all this is the dating scene is something that we should just skip. We should just say thank you next to dating as a whole. And admittedly, that gets complicated. That gets difficult if our parents are not in the picture. They're not involved. They're not engaged. They don't care. They don't want to hear it. It's whatever. If they're going to be a primary conduit for eye-rolling and criticizing and, hey, why don't you just date around? Why don't you just shop around? There's plenty of fish in the sea. Have fun. You're going to settle down soon enough, and then your life's over. 
Live it up. Sow your wild oats. Yeah, maybe don't confine yourself to asking their permission to take a wife. Maybe, just maybe. That's not a good course. Maybe. I mean, go for it. But I, I don't see that as a thus saith the Lord. It could be wise. It could be a beneficial thing. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean you're sinning if you don't do that. So why in a day and age where we've got inflation out of control, when we've got economic issues, we've got social issues, you've got people being confused about whether they're a boy or a girl, a man or a woman, whether an unborn child in the womb is a human being, life, worthy of life, worthy of protecting. Why in a day and age where there's so much confusion would we tell young people who want to live for the Lord, no, don't you dare think about marriage. Don't you dare. You know, I don't want to mischaracterize Paul Washer's sermon. He does say at a certain point, you start feeling like you're taking notice of the opposite gender, the opposite sex. You start noticing that they exist and they're interesting to you. And you know what? I might be interested in them too. You know, one of them. That doesn't necessarily mean you're ready for marriage. Point taken, definitely. But rather than us telling teenagers and 20-somethings, you're not ready, wouldn't it be better for us to be helping them to get ready? Wouldn't that be much better? Wouldn't that be much more helpful if we were having conversations with them, writing a book for them like I am right now at 12, 13, 14 years old, going on 13, 14, 15 years old? Hey, listen, if you are going to be equipped to be a husband and father, you need to start thinking about this in this way. I want you to start thinking about trade school because college is expensive and you're not going to pay those loans back unless you're sure that you're sure that you're sure that you're called to be a doctor, in which case go for it. But you need to know that. I think that conforming ourselves to the pattern of this world can take a lot of forms. I think for some people it takes the form of I'm going to fool around and find out when I'm a teenager and everybody around me is totally okay with it. That's just what everybody does, right? I think sometimes conforming to the pattern of this world takes the form in the white collar world, particularly where lots of big donors, lots of big people we're connected to who can pull strings and make sure that we get and retain positions of authority and prominence or lose them might weigh in. In the white-collar world, it's very common for young people to not get married until they're in their 30s. Well-established, they have their own home, their own career, they've established themselves, they've lived their best life. Now they're going to add a trophy in the form of a spouse. Sometimes conforming ourselves to the pattern of this world looks like that. Decades ago, the average age at which young people got married was 20. Something's changed, and it's not all young people's fault. It is not all the presumption of young people In fact, I would say a great, great deal of it is due to the decisions made by older generations, selfishly, spending their children's and their grandchildren's money without a care, being selfish and self-indulgent. It's of a piece with the abortion issue, in my mind. It's of a piece with the public education issue, in my mind. On that note, you can read my book, and this is why we homeschool. That one is out. You can buy it now. And if you subscribe at thegear-themulletshow.com, 
or hit subscribe on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to this on right now. I will keep you updated when, and this is why we got married, is available. Rest assured, I'm going to be working on another chapter tomorrow, getting it written, getting it ready, trying to get back on schedule. But I'll keep bringing to you what it is that I'm realizing, trying to work through, trying to figure out, trying to puzzle out, trying to organize so that it makes it into the book in the most helpful, most useful fashion possible. But that's all the time I've got for this episode. More to come, rest assured. Again, feel free to check out the entirety of A Living Sacrifice, Paul Washer, Romans 12, 1 through 2, part 2, excerpt if you want the broader context of the rest of his remarks. But as always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com.